The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele, and we have new developments regarding the ethics complaint that has been uh, submitted to the ASCE, and so we're going to bring on Ted Walter. Ted is the Director of Strategy and Development here at AE 9-11 Truth. He was the Director of NYC CAN's 2014 High-Rise Safety Initiative, uh, a volunteer campaign manager for AE 9-11 Truth's Rethink Campaign in 2013, and uh, Director of NYC CAN's 2009 Ballot Initiative. He authored the 50-page booklet, Beyond Misinformation, and the 13-page World Trade Center Physics publication, and AE 9-11 Truth's 2020 request for correction to the NIST World Trade Center 7 report, which uh, we've talked about on previous episodes. But let's bring him in here. Ted, welcome back to 9-11 Freefall. Hey, Andy. It's always good to be on. Thanks. All right. So we did a news update some weeks ago announcing to the uh, movement uh, these developments that they were going to review uh, the uh, paper that was submitted by Zam- uh, Tony Zambodi um, and others. So let's just uh, go ahead and <clears throat> rehash that a little bit for new viewers. Just briefly go over the history of this entire affair. Talk about what happened in this whole epic of trying to get this paper published. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll give a real quick snapshot of like what just happened and then, and then rewind a little bit, perhaps. Um, we had some good news about, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, we learned from the ASCE and the Journal of Engineering Mechanics that the new editor there had agreed to review a discussion paper, uh, that was rejected, uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, it was a, it was a critique of a paper that was published in the journal. Um, and was rejected uh, ultimately two years later for being out of scope, meaning outside the journal's scope, even though it was discussing a paper that was already published in the journal. Um, and this, this is the Journal of Engineering Mechanics. So uh, it, it's been a long fight to try to get this paper published because it was unfairly rejected 10 years ago. And you know we thought we were getting very close about a month ago when the new editor of the journal agreed to review this discussion paper. Um, and, you know, and, and the short and the long of it right now is that this new editor has now rejected this paper, um, which I just want to be very clear from the get-go. We are we're going to fight this decision, and, and the decision that he handed down is is quite unfair, and, and, you know, I'll get into the details, but it was very superficial, and he did not, in our view, conduct a serious review of the paper. Um, so, you know, we're still holding out big hope that this paper will eventually get published. Um, it's a very important paper because it critiques... Uh, another paper, as I said before, that was published in the Journal of Engineering Mechanics in 2011 that is really the foundation of the official story of how the Twin Towers came down on 9-11. And there are some very serious errors in that paper uh, published in 2011 uh, by a famous engineering professor named Zdenek Bizant uh, and his co-author, Jialing Lei. Uh, some very significant errors where if you correct those errors, you reverse the results of their analysis and you prove that 
the top of the of the North Tower would slow down significantly um, in the absence of explosives, uh, which is not what we saw in the videos uh, of what happened that day. Um, the North Tower comes down um, in almost free fall acceleration, constant acceleration of about uh, two thirds of the rate of gravity and never, never decelerates as it's coming down. And if it doesn't decelerate, that means it's not crushing the structure below it. Um, so this is, this is an important development. Um, it's something that even though this is a, a negative turn, uh, that we learned about last week, um, we are still going to be fighting it. And we think that we can get the journal and the editor and the ASCE to, uh, change their, their decision. And I'll, I'll go into more detail on, on why that is. That's right. And of course, uh, the top part of the building can't crush the lower part without slowing down. This is significant because it means the bottom portion is being removed at the same time, which means that it's a uh, controlled demolition. And this relies on Bazant's entire theory to uh, justify their report. They used it as their explanation. And of course, now this uh, paper that we're talking about uh, disproves <clears throat> the Bazant's theory, which was written only a few days after September 11th, or when he came up with this theory in that time, I should say. Uh, Ted, uh, just tell our audience, uh, I know Tony, it's Tony Zambodi's paper, uh, but I'm blanking on the other names here of the, of the people who are involved. Yeah. Let them know whose paper it is. Uh, so Richard Johns is the other, is the other author with, with Tony Zambodi. All right. So. Let's talk about the reasons why they initially rejected this paper. They said that it was out of scope. Why is that erroneous? Well, so yeah, so the the um, the, the original paper by Byzant and Lay was published in January of 2011. Uh, the deadline to submit discussions uh, critiquing that paper was the end of May of 2011. So Tony and Richard submitted their paper uh, at the end of May of 2011. It took a full year uh, for the journal to review their paper. Uh, another paper that was submitted on the same day in 2011, it took something like 70 days for the journal to review and accept that paper. And in our view, that paper was actually much more, is much flimsier than, than Tony and Richard's paper. Not that their paper is flimsy at all, but this other paper is quite flimsy and yet the journal accepted it in something like 70 days back in the summer of 2011. Uh, Tony and Richard had to wait a full year to get a decision on their paper, and they um, it was rejected initially in May of 2012 on technical grounds on the basis of one reviewer's comments. Uh, and when Tony and Richard reviewed those comments, uh, they saw that those comments were incredibly weak and specious, and they submitted a rebuttal. Uh, the journal reviewed the rebuttal, and within a couple weeks, sent Tony and Richard an invitation to submit a revised manuscript along with the rebuttal saying that the journal, that the um, editor would review their revised manuscript and publish it. If you know, the changes were made to the revised manuscript that addressed the rebuttals, um, the, the comments of the reviewer. So they submitted that in June of 2012 and they thought that it would be a quick turnaround at that point because it was full review by editor only. And they ended up waiting another uh, 14 months for the journal to issue a decision on their revised manuscript. And uh, it took a lot, there was a lot of back and forth with the ASCE and, and with the journal and the, the journal staff at ASCE. And when they were not getting any movement or responses from the journal, they finally emailed the journal, the editors, then a new editor came on in that time. So there was a period where there were two editors, two, two chief editors of the journal. The new editor 
responded to Tony and Richard and was like, okay, let me look into this. Uh, you know, this is strange that this paper has been sitting here for all this time. And it seemed like he was going to do, he was going to actually take a look at the paper, realize there were no major issues with it and probably publish it. Uh, this was around May of, of May, May, July of 2013, two years after they submitted the discussion paper. Suddenly in August of 2013, they get a decision from the journal saying that the paper is being rejected because it's quote unquote out of scope. Now, the idea that you can reject a discussion paper, which is critiquing another paper that's already in the journal, uh, when that discussion paper was submitted on time and is raising serious issues about the original paper is totally ridiculous. Um, and, and unfair and, and unethical. And it's actually, you know, contrary, if you look at the procedures of, of the ASE journals, it's contrary to like all their procedures. The only way that you can reject any papers out of scope actually is when it's initially submitted. Like the editor looks at it and says, Oh, this is outside of our scope, right? This is not really what our journal focuses on. That makes sense. But the idea that this paper that had been in, in waiting and, you know, in review for two years and had already been critiqued by one reviewer would then suddenly be rejected as out of scope is, is unfair and, and just is pretty clearly shows you that the journal, the editors of the journal just did not want to publish this critique of uh, Zdenek Bizant's analysis. So um, there's a lot more to the story after that because this happened back in two, 2013 and here we are in 2022. Um, but, you know, I can, I'll answer, I'll tell the story as we go. All right. And I'm going to read uh, <clears throat> from a letter uh, from, Tony Zambodi to the ASCE General Counsel and liaison to the Committee on Professional Conduct this year. Uh, It says, the editors rejected the discussion as out of scope in August 2013. We subsequently appealed the decision to the Engineering Mechanics Institute Board of Governors in September of 2013. They reviewed the case and upheld the editor's decision, but it is clear from their communications to us that they did not realize or consider that the discussion was rejected for being, quote, out of scope. Excuse me. Now, it seems just from reading that passage and the indication that the editors didn't even seem to know the reasons why it was initially rejected, uh, you know, over the years, the AS... Were you going to say? Board of Governors. The Board of Governors of the Engineering Mechanics Institute. Okay, Board of Governors. So they didn't know why it was even initially rejected. Um, and over the years, the ASC's first priority has been to make sure that the paper gets rejected. This is my, my uh, editorializing here. But it seems like their first priority is make sure it gets rejected and we'll come up with a reason later. Um, as, you know, their secondary their secondary priority when uh, when this matter comes up. So I just want your thoughts on on that uh, sp- speculation on my part. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's really deeply frustrating and just kind of mind boggling that like every step of the way here over the last you know ten eleven years, you kind of expect somebody that's coming into this situation for the first time, somebody new. Like now we're talking about the new editor of the journal, thinking like. Oh, this person's looking at. It. They're gonna. Somebody's finally gonna do the right thing here and just publish this paper for crying out loud. Just publish it. And if there's a problem with it, let the original authors, Byzant and Lay, tell us what's wrong with the discussion. Why is the journal and the ASCE putting up all these roadblocks to getting this paper published? Um, and so, yeah, every step of the way, you think somebody, this new body or this new person, is gonna be here and, and look at the paper and, and just solve this situation that that's a really simple remedy just publish the paper and it just keeps not happening and and so yeah you just have to the only thing the only conclusion that you can come away with is 
they really, really don't want to publish the paper, unfortunately. And, and that's sad because not only because this is such an important issue, but it's just, you know, and I don't, I don't mean this personally. It's sort of like sometimes institutions, these things happen with institutions where you might have good people working at an, at, a, at an institution or organization, but when you add it all up, the behavior of the institution is incredibly hypocritical. And, you know, the, these journals are supposed to be about, you know, science, the scientific process, open debate, um, you know, critiquing other, other papers that are published, uh, earlier and, you know, just everything that they're, that they've done is so contrary to that. It's really, it's really sad and, and, and enraging in many ways, and especially if you're somebody who cares a lot about getting to the bottom of what happened on 9-11. If you're a family member, you know, we work with many family members of people who died on 9-11 and they're following this. They want to see the truth be brought out. Um, and the people, these people at, at the journal and, and at the ASCE, not to, um, you know, not to uh, vilify anybody, any one individual, but as I said, the sum of the parts is just ends up being so, you know, so negative. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you mentioned the board of governors. That was yet another stop um, on the way here where we thought that somebody would do the right thing. The Board of Governors would look at the situation, realize that this paper shouldn't be rejected as out of scope because it's critiquing a paper that's already in the journal. And it became clear after the review, like, first of all, there was no transparency. We have no idea. Tony and Richard have no idea what materials were provided to the Board of Governors. Um, and, and then no ability to state their case to the Board of Governors. There's just a review. And actually, at the time, one of the editors, one of the two editors was on the board of governors and he was the, uh, president elect of the board of the engineering mechanics, mechanics Institute. So like there's, you know, that's, a, that's a real conflict of interest right there. And then, you know, once they get the letters from the, from the board of governors and from the ASE journal staff communicating the decision, it's clear that the board of governors weren't actually given the basic facts about why the paper was rejected the second time around the fact that it was out of scope. You know, the president of the EMI, the Engineering Mechanics Institute, said something like, your paper may very well be within the scope of the journal. We don't know that. You know, like, well, you know, this was the result of a peer review process. So we have to respect the results. But it's like, it wasn't really a peer review process that ended up getting this paper rejected. It was the journal. It was the editor saying, we think this paper is out of scope. So... Yeah, again, secondary. Secondary uh, is coming up with a reason. The primary objective is to reject this. Uh, and, no, this is not about vilifying anybody, and I'm not mentioning any names here at the ASCE. We want the process to work. But if you want to be, have this position of prominence here in the engineering community, then you have to be fair, you have to be honest, you have to be inclusive, and you have to actually give a real justification when it comes to an issue like this. And it's not important just to engineers, it's not just a scientific issue. I mean, 3,000 people died on that day, a large number of them died in those towers. This whole issue uh, is a question of how they died, and of course it opens up uh, a bigger uh box here regarding the, the 9-11 attacks, but we need to have a some kind of understanding, some kind of consensus on why those towers came down. And uh, we're not backing down on this. We, we've got the evidence and we've disproven the prevailing theory that's been uh, cast in stone in officialdom, and they do not want to touch this. Now, in 2019, they claimed that uh, this is not an ethics issue. Why is that false? 
Right. So in September of 2018, uh, Tony and Richard, together with 10 ASCE members who are affiliated with AE911 Truth, submitted an ethics complaint. That was the avenue of recourse that we finally identified that made sense where we had a chance of actually holding the editors accountable and trying to get this paper published. And so again, we submitted, we submitted this ethics complaint. You're thinking, Hey, this, this body, the committee on professional conduct of the ASCE is going to do the right thing. They're going to look at this and say, geez, these, these guys were really wronged here back in 2013. So we wait again for a whole year and a year later the the ASCE uh, committee on professional conduct comes back to us and says that the committee believes that this is not an ethics issue and that, and that's because the editors of journals at ASCE journals should have, you know, wide latitude to determine the scope of their journals. Uh, and so they were not going to, you know, lend ethical scrutiny, let's say to, um, to an editor's decision not to publish a paper for being out of scope. Uh, unless you had some proof that there was a conflict of interest or something like that involved. So we took issue with this on two levels. Uh, first of all, we said, well, it is an ethical issue. Like editors, their editors do have ethical obligations. If you read the documents that govern how ASCE journals are, um, supposed to operate, uh, you do have, they do have ethical obligations and, there's even a, there's an organization which we'll get into called the Committee on Publication Ethics, right? Publication Ethics. There's all sorts of ethics uh, related to publishing, um, academic publishing. And so to say that journal, you know, like that the journals don't have this ethical, that this is not an ethical issue. Um, and, and specifically, there's a requirement. One, one of the, one of the tenets of the Committee on Public, Publication Ethics is that journals have to allow, um, for discussion post publication. That, that's like, literally, that's one of their, their, their general practices. The paper is published. The journal has to allow other researchers, other academics to just, you know, comment on the paper that's published. And that's exactly what's being violated in this case. Um, so just on its face, that's wrong. And we think that we, you know, it is an ethical issue. But beyond that, they said, you, unless there's a conflict of interest. Well, it just so happens that one of the two editors of the journal um, was a colleague and was publishing, co-authoring papers with one of the two authors of the original paper, G.I. Lang Lei. So the editor of the journal, Roberto Ballerini, was a co was a co- colleague who actually hired G.I. Lang Lei at the University of Minnesota to be on their staff, their faculty. They were coworkers. And they were publishing papers together at the same time that Ballerini reviewed Tony and John's paper critiquing his colleagues earlier paper. So right there, we actually did have a conflict of interest Now we did not raise that in the original ethics complaint. Uh, we, um, we thought that the facts would speak for themselves and that we didn't need to speculate on people's motives. Right. Um, but the ASC basically said, if you could prove like, if you could prove there's, Conflict of interest. Then, then there's an issue here. So we, we we did that. We submitted a new document in September of 2019, October of 2019, showing showing that there was conflicts of interest. Uh, we also the other conflict of interest is that the other journal editor, Casper Willem, worked on the NIST investigation, right? And the NIST investigation and the Byzant analysis go hand in hand, 
right? And Casper Willem has a very vested interest in um, in supporting the official story and supporting Byzant's analysis um, because he, you know, he was paid by NIST to review the NIST report. Uh, so for Casper Willem, you have a technical conflict of interest regarding a bias towards one one side of this issue or another. And then with Ballerini, you have a personal, professional relationship with one of the authors of the original paper. So there were conflicts of interest. So, I mean, the story goes on from there. We, we submitted that document showing that there were conflicts of interest on, on the part of both editors. And the ASE comes back almost a year later and says, no, we don't think that conflicts of interest played a role in how the editors decided to handle this paper. And uh, I mean, the story goes on from there. Like I could, I could probably spend like two or three hours telling the whole story. And I hope I'm not boring you or confusing you with, with details here. Um, but uh, the story then became that one of the, ed- the editor who had the obvious conflict of interest, the relate, the personal relationship to one of the original authors, they came up with the story. It looks like that he was not actually involved in reviewing the paper. But if you go back and look at the emails in 2013, he was the one who was emailing Tony and Richard saying, I'm going to review your paper. I'm just getting all the documents, looking at all the, all the various papers that the journalists published on this issue over the years. And I'm going to get you a decision by early August, right? He said that I will, I'm going to consult with the other editor and I will then give you a decision. Now, several years later, almost 10 years later, they're trying to say that that editor was not involved in reviewing the paper. And we have the evidence to show that he was, and that he was probably, in fact, there were things that he wrote in the email to Tony and Richard that match the language almost precisely that was in the decision letter rejecting their paper back in 2013. So it looked very, very, very likely that he wrote a decision letter to them. And now he and the ASCE are trying to say that he wasn't involved in reviewing the paper. Well, don't worry about uh, boring people with the details because that's what the show is all about. We're not a typical uh, 9-11 truth show. I'm not interested in being sensational. I want to get it on the record so people in the future get this video and they can write the books on it and hopefully put it in the history books. How much work people like you had to do to uh, <clears throat> get some kind of ground on this issue, which should be completely obvious. And, you know, if we had those kinds of conflicts of interest somehow mixed up in what we do, uh, with any kind of success we had, you better believe the other side would be jumping all over it, making a big screaming fit. The media, if they, if it got to a level where they had to get involved, would be making probably more of it. I mean, if you, if you just shopped at the same Walmart <clears throat> as somebody who was, uh, involved in judging, they would probably make an issue out of it. And I know that when you have conflicts of interest in court, the judges have to recuse themselves and step down. It's just a common sense thing to do. Which absolutely is the case. That is the case here. Like this editor, Balrini, who was the the co-worker of Jialing Lei uh, at University of Minnesota, and they were publishing papers together. As soon as this came came across his desk in 2013, he should have recused himself right away. Like the idea that he read the original paper and he knew right from the get-go that his colleague was one of the original authors, he should have said right away, I'm sorry, I can't review this. As, you know, my, my colleague, the guy that I'm publishing papers with right now, is one of the authors. So, and he, yeah. he did. Yeah, well, you know, the rules don't apply when it comes to covering this up. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a shadowy conspiracy or anything like that. It's just human instinct. Nobody likes to rock the boat at work. 
Um, so if your yeah. supervisors tell you, oh, like this came a couple, a couple of years ago and, you know, we don't want to give the conspiracy theories any credence, so we're just going to violate all our ethical standards to keep it down, people will say, okay, you know, sorry about that, uh, Ted and Tony and Richard. Uh, this is uh, this is the way it is. Uh, yeah. But we're going to overcome that. Go ahead. I mean, to, to Just to speak to that, I mean, the way that they have been treating Tony and Richard for the last 11, 12 years is like they would – the ASC would never treat like a normal somebody who's dealing with a non-controversial, relatively non-controversial topic in this way. Like, I mean, the way my interpretation of that, you know, I don't know these people. I don't, you know, hang out with them, but my interpretation and I think Richard's and Tony's is like, we get different treatment because we are seen as conspiracy theorists and the rules basically don't have to apply to us. Like, um, it just it goes out the wind the way that you should be treating authors people that are taking the time to actually submit material to be published in your journals like you should be treating them with respect and and dignity and yeah it's basically that simple as like you know Richard and Tony have not been treated with dignity yeah they're just hoping that they go away because they are the heathens that are saying that the sun or that the earth revolves around the sun of course, this is the modern-day equivalent, saying the top part of a building can't crush the lower part without slowing down. I think they're going to uh, be proven right in history, future history, uh, but we want that now. We don't want to wait for that. Uh, I'm going to read another passage from Tony's letter to them. Um, <clears throat> Still aiming to reach a resolution without a disciplinary proceeding, we propose submitting the case for peer, I'm sorry, the case for review by the Committee on Publication Ethics. That's COPE. An outside nonprofit organization of which ASCE and the journal are members. <clears throat> ASCE agreed to this review, which COPE then conducted from October 2020 and April 2021. However, the outcome of COPE's review was materially affected by false statements that Dr. Ballerini and ASCE's Dana Compton made to COPE during the course of the review, in which they alleged that Dr. Ballerini was not involved in rendering the final decision and that the revised manuscript was rejected on technical grounds rather than for being, quote, out of scope. Later on in the letter, it says, Today we have submitted an amendment to our original ethics complaint, adding a count alleging that Dr. Ballerini additionally violated the ASCE Code of Ethics by making false statements to COPE, that's C-O-P-E, uh, thereby obstructing a proper review of the case. So how much of a red flag should it be that the ASCE can't even keep its story straight or changes it depending on the circumstances that it finds itself in? Yeah, so so it is a red flag. And that in the amendment to our ethics complaint, and we submitted this amendment in March of this year, so just a couple months ago, after we got done showing that uh, the editor, Roberto Valerini, and this um, ASCE staff person had essentially they made false statements to cope. You know, the point that we ultimately, one of the points that we ultimately made in the amendment was the reason why they're making false statements is because, you know, and they made two specific things. Uh, let me clarify this. Two things. Trying to claim that Valerini was not involved in reviewing the paper, which we know that he was. And they even went as far as trying to claim that the paper was not rejected for being out of scope. It was actually rejected the second time around on technical grounds. And if you read the decision, it was rejected because it was out of scope. It's very clear, right? And and now the ASE is telling COPE that it was rejected on technical grounds. 
And it wasn't. That's not what the decision says, right? And Cope then basically took ASCE's word for it. As a member, ASCE is a member organization of Cope. And so perhaps Cope didn't want to say, oh, we don't really trust you or, you know, like the, the, the language of the decision letter contradicts what you're telling us. They just took Cope's, uh, they just took, Cope just took ASCE's word for it, basically, at face value. Even though Richard was involved in this process, is emailing Cope saying what they're saying is not true. Like every time a- the ASCE staff person emailed Cope with their explanation, Richard would email Cope and say, what she's saying is not true. It was rejected for being out of scope. And in the end, Cope ultimately, you know, their case report was that, you know, like th- what they said was, oh, they basically took ASE's word for it. And they said, you need to have your decision letters be clearer in the future, you know? And it's like, no, this is not an issue of the decision letter not being clear. Like it was very clear. It was rejected because it was out of scope. So the reason why the ASCE staff person and Ballerini would lie about these things, sorry to use that word, but let's just use it, um, is, is that it's not ethically okay. Like it, if they told the truth and said, yeah, we rejected it because it was out of scope, or yes, Ballerini was involved in reviewing the paper, Cope would have said, well, geez, that's a problem. And we think that you should actually do a new review of this paper. So they had to lie because ASCE is trying to say that these things are not a problem if they were the case, right? But if these people are, are willing to lie about it to an outside organization, clearly the fact that they're lying about is problematic. And so that, that's the, you know, that's the point that we finally raised at the end of the amendment to the ethics complaint. So, um, clearly, um, Ballerini was involved in reviewing the paper, and it's a problem that he was because he had a conflict of interest. Clearly, the paper was rejected about out of scope, and that's unethical because a discussion paper can't be out of scope by definition. So, and that's what Cope would have ultimately said if ASCE and Ballerini had just told the truth to Cope. Does that make yeah, sense? Too many details? Am I losing? Am I losing you? Am I losing the audience? Well, the audience can rewind the tape if they miss something. Um, <clears throat> it makes sense. Look, it boils down to the fact that, well, first of all, you know, if they came and said, so Ballerini reviewed it, so what? You know, he was honest, he was fair, you know, then that would be something to argue. But the fact that they're, like, lying about it shows that they know that this is wrong, that they have something to cover up here. Um, exactly. Otherwise, why would you be lying about it? Just come you're out. Say, you're saying it. it better. You're saying it better than me, Andy. I get I get way too technical and wordy when I try to explain it. But that's my talent here. But no, but you know that's why they're doing. It. I mean, there is something rotten in Reston, Virginia. That's where the ASCE's headquarters are located. These people are thick as thieves. And uh, I mean, you know what it reminds me of? There was a sketch comedy show called The Kids in the Hall, and they had a skit where a guy's on trial for murder, and I don't remember all the dialogue off the top of my head, but the lawyer would be saying to the guy on the witness stand, the accused, you know, you were seen standing uh, over the body holding a gun, a smoking gun, after you shot him, and the guy's like, no, I wasn't. And he's got a buddy out in the audience, like, laughing along with him. So he's just, like, denying every fact that this lawyer states, and they've got all this evidence, and he just says, oh, no, no, it isn't. You know, this is the murder weapon. No, it isn't. I mean, that's what, that's what these people are reminding me of. They can just outright lie like this. Um, it goes to show you, again, how far the system, and I, when I say the system, I'm just talking overall institutions or what I mean. You know, it becomes an easy way to describe this collective monster that we're always going up against. But 
you know, how the system is really scared of this issue and being the one to take it up. I understand that the ASCE probably didn't imagine themselves being at the center of something this big. I get that. I never imagined that we would be either, that I would be. Ted probably didn't imagine that he would be. Uh, but here we are, and we do have an ethical uh, obligation to step forward and do something. Now, look, I know there's rules about what constitutes ethical violations, but, you know, if you see your neighbor beating up his wife <clears throat> in the middle of the night and, you know, it looks like he, he could kill her or something, I mean, yeah, you could say it's not my problem, but you still really do have an ethical obligation to step in and do something to stop that from happening. So to me, that is an ethical violation when you have clear evidence that we've been given an incorrect, incorrect story uh, about something that resulted in the murder of many, many thousands of people. <clears throat> um, it boils down that simply for me. All right, so in a, in a letter that's been submitted to the ASC, uh, it's written, you can talk about the context of this letter or, 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 you know, why this letter was sent in a minute, but it says, To our disappointment, the new chief editor, Dr. Franz Joseph Alm, uh, who last month agreed to review the discussion, rejected it, rejected it without providing a, quote, technically reasoned decision. In case there's any confusion here, uh, Ted, tell our audience what this new chief editor did right and what actually qualifies as a technically reasoned decision. Right. So one, one thing I want to add to this story is, and this is important, when I mentioned the 10 ASCE members, uh, be, because we had 10 ASCE members signed on to the complaint, that meant that even if the Committee on Professional Conduct uh, conducted a, their investigation and, and concluded that the defendants did not vi violate the Code of Ethics of ASCE, the case would still have to go before the ASCE Executive Committee because we had the 10 ASCE members. So that, essentially, that means that we had a lot of leverage in this process by having these 10 ASCE members signed on, that no matter what, what the Committee on Professional Conduct says, we're going to get our, you know, our day in court before the ASCE Executive Committee. Um, and so what we were actually trying to do all along and are still trying to do is we don't want to go before the Executive Committee, right? We don't want we don't want this hearing. What we really want is just for the paper to be published. And so all along we've said, if they will just re review the paper, we will, you know, we will drop the ethics complaint, right? We don't, our, our goal is not to punish these editors. Um, and so finally, this new editor uh, took over last July. Um, the other editor, Ballerini, that we've been talking about who rejected the paper nine years ago, he was the editor of the Journal of Engineering Mechanics until last year. So now there's a new editor in there. So when we submitted the new amendment to the ethics complaint, we also said to ASCE, um, you know, we can avoid this. Let's avoid this and, and ask the new editor if he would be willing to review the paper. So he agreed to review it. His name is Franz Joseph Ohm. Uh, he's German, uh, but he lives in the United States and he's a professor at MIT. Um, and so he agreed to review it. And that was great news. Like we were basically like, okay, the whole point of the ethics complaint has kind of paid off here, we think. But the one thing we had to worry about was, is, is Dr. Alm going to review the paper fairly? You know, um, and sadly, what we found out at this point is that he, uh, he did not, or maybe it was his intention. I don't, I don't want to speculate. Um, but, um, um, one major part of this whole, of the ethics complaint that we say in the complaint is what we're asking for as a remedy is for the journal to review the paper and either publish it or provide a technically reasoned decision 
not to publish it. They can't just say, oh, we disagree. We're not going to publish it. They actually have to explain. That was in our ethics complaint. Like that's what, that, that is the agreement, the arrangement that we were seeking. Now I'm learning to, to my astonishment that when journals reject papers, right, they don't always have to, they often don't provide an explanation. Like they don't say, this is why your paper is wrong or these are why your rebuttals of the review are wrong. But in this case, um, maybe that's somewhat the norm or that's acceptable. In this case, it's not acceptable because we specifically said if you want to reject it, you have to provide a technically reasoned decision because we know that there's a history of bias against this paper, against our position at this journal. So um, he reviewed it. And last week, uh, Tony and Richard received the decision letter from the journal rejecting the paper, which we thought there was a decent chance that it would be accepted. There's really technically no reason not to accept it. Um, he rejected it allegedly on technical grounds, but he didn't provide any reasoning. He just said, I agree with the reviewer's comments, the reviewer back from 2012. And he didn't say why he agreed with the reviewer's comments or what and why he uh, disagreed with Richard and Tony's rebuttals of the reviewer's comments. He also said, you know, to my understanding, there hasn't been any important changes to the paper. So the reviewer's comments still stand. Actually, Richard and Tony made many significant changes to the paper. So he's wrong about that. He actually cited the wrong paper in his in decision. He cited, maybe you were going to ask about that. He cited um, Leigh and Bazan's 2008 paper. Um, either, he either cited the wrong paper or he mischaracterized the extent to which the discussion discusses the 2008 paper. It only mentions it twice for minor reasons. So um, from that, from him citing the wrong paper, uh, he also makes this crazy claim that because they are questioning the assumptions in the original paper, they're not actually discussing the original paper. Does that, does that make any sense? Like, because they're focusing on the fact that there's assumptions in the paper, they're not discussing the paper. They're not discussing the methodology of these authors. It doesn't, it, it really doesn't make any sense. Um, and so those things are just obviously giveaways that he didn't actually seriously uh, you know, with an open mind, you know, review this paper. Um, was his goal, was he going to reject it no matter what? I don't know. Like, does he see Richard and Tony as sort of imposters who are just, they're just troublemakers, conspiracy theorists? Like, you know, again, I don't think, I don't think an editor would treat normal, normal authors dealing with a non-controversial issue in this way. Um, I think that Tony and Richard get different treatment um, because they're perceived as conspiracy theorists or simply, or maybe the author knows that they're right and he doesn't want to see the theory that he's bought into be disproven. I don't know. But that's, yeah. that's the, fact. the matter is that they didn't get a technically reasoned decision. And so we are now using that to say, to go back and say, no, 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 the journal, the ASCE has to get the editor to provide a technically reasoned decision. Yeah. You know, it reminds me, years ago on C-SPAN, we had somebody call into this meathead congressman, or maybe it was a senator. No, I think it was a congressman, Duncan Hunter, and uh, he said uh, that the buildings were brought down by Islamic radicals, and all of the investigations show that. The host kind of pushed him and said, did you read those uh, reports, something to that effect? And he said, no, I didn't. And then she said, you yeah, know, but you... Uh, 
you have faith in their findings? He said, yes, I did. He ended up going down for some kind of fraud later on. Real meathead. Um, but, you know, when somebody just believes so staunchly in an official story, in the system, doesn't want to think about this, I mean, they can jump through such metal hurdles that they don't even bother to look at the paper. Now, I'm not going to accuse... Uh, Dr. Alm of not doing any work on this. I have no idea. I have no idea. We can only just go based on what we get back. But you should give some kind of technically reasoned answer when it's something this important. Again, this is not about uh, making this person change his own personal opinion about September 11th or the current state of the world or anything like that. It, this is about a uh, the ASCE and publishing papers and getting uh, different views out there and doing what science is all about, what uh, engineering science should be all about here if ASCE wants to have such a prominent position. And I'm going to tell you what, you know, to the ASC, I talked to some of your members and uh, they agree with us. So you're going to have a problem on your hands here uh, coming up in the few years because this information is just still getting out there and more and more people are waking up. So it is actually better for them to start addressing this and actually giving it equal time, no matter what the people in the leadership personally want to Believe, And I stress that word believe because I don't think these opinions are based off of any kind of scientific uh, standing. I think it's just based off of faith in uh, the official story. Uh, let's talk about this concept of, uh, of major changes. Or rather, what Dr. Holmes stated, to his understanding, there's no major changes were, were made in the revised manuscript. And therefore, the issues raised in the reviewer's comments have not been addressed and still Stan, what major changes ha were actually made? Right. So uh, there were I, I, Tony and Richard are the experts in their paper. Um, there, it's a it's a highly highly technical, uh, complex field and complex set of formulas that I do not understand. Um, I'm limited to talking about things that are in the NIST report and the request for correction. As soon as we get to talking about engineering mechanics, it's a little bit above above my pay grade. Um, but they, they did make changes. They did make a few changes that I, that from my vantage point, I would say are substantive. You know, if you look at the original paper, you know, there's a particular graph that shows what the behavior, the downward motion, uh, the acceleration of the top of the North Tower would be. And then, if, and then that they made changes that were significant enough that the graph changed, right? Um, so they, they changed, they made change some of their assumptions. Um, they, they made a lot of changes to make things, you know, to make things a little clearer. Um, you know, oftentimes you, you have to like cut corners a little bit because there's a word limit. Um, and, and then once you have somebody review it, they say, well, this should really should be clearer. So you say, okay, we'll, we'll add a little clarity there. Maybe we have to trim some words off somewhere else. Um, but so they made changes, uh, you know, here and there to make things clear, provide a little extra, you know, justification uh, around certain formulas, uh, a source here, a source there, what have you, but mostly, you know, clar clarifying changes. Uh, for, for most of the substantive critiques from the reviewer, they, they simply tried to refute them because they were actually off. And, you know, this is another, just another step in the process where you have somebody who clearly did not want to help these guys get their paper published. Um, whoever the, the the criticisms made by the reviewer, uh, I think, as I said at the beginning, were were generally pretty pretty flimsy and ridiculous, and and so Tony and Richard made some clarifying changes, changed one or two substantive things about their analysis, um, but 
by and large were rebutting the reviewers' comments. And um, you know, as a, I'm not, I'm not here. I can't judge if, it, if when I read it, when I read what their criticisms are, like I'm not up to the point of expertise where I can say yes, their their rebuttal of the criticisms is valid and compelling, but it it certainly appears very comprehensive um, and, and, and compelling. And for somebody who does have this expertise, like this editor, it should be very simple to kind of look at the two arguments and see, I think, that Tony and Richard are correct and that their rebuttals of the reviewers' comments are, are effective. Um, and, and, and yeah, and you know, it really comes across in, in that, in that letter. So in any case, most important thing is if he agrees with the reviewer's comments, he has to say why. Like, why are Tony and Richard's rebuttals not managing to, you know, refute the, the reviewer's comments? Yeah. Well, as it states at the end of this letter here, in the interest of open discussion and using the scientific method, we assume that Dr. Alm will be perfectly willing to review the changes made to the manuscript and our rebuttals of the re- reviewer's comments and either publish the discussion or provide a technically reasoned decision not to. Please ensure that Dr. Ulm receives this letter. And that's what it's all about. Again, if you want to be this uh, scientific institution taken seriously, this professional institution representing engineers, then you have to make sense. You have to uh, be inclusive, and you have to provide a reason for why you are rejecting it. Otherwise, it's just, you know, you might as well be like Fox News or MSNBC, we're just going to uh, put out our opinions and defend those to the death, and that's it, you know? I mean, that's why nobody takes those things seriously anymore. That's why mainstream media is losing their viewership. That's why they're going down right now. We don't want our scientific institutions to be seen the same way. So, you know, <clears throat> that's why we keep on doing this work. And actually, while well, I'll, I'll, I'll spare my opinion uh, until I get yours, Ted, here. Uh, I have a lot to say on this, but, you know, I hear people say often, you know, you're not going to get the system to reinvestigate itself. And, uh, you know, the, and I think a lot of us could see that there, this was going to happen just from having been in this movement for so long. We know the fights that we always have to fight in order to try to get any progress. Why is this so important? Why don't we just, you know, throw up our hands and say, the ASCE is what it is. Let's move on to something else. Why do we need to get this paper published so badly? Yeah, so, well, we have to try because, uh, you know, if this paper gets published, you know, I would say thousands of engineers and will will read it. Uh, this paper, the Journal of Engineering, this, the, the, the journal is, is widely read by certainly people in that field, journal, uh, you know, in engineering mechanics. Um, and, and I would say that what people in that field think about the World Trade Center collapses filters out to other engineers who are maybe not as academic or whatever, people who are more in industry, but, um, or even other, other specific fields within, within, within engineering. So, um, the, the, and, and, and as I've said before, I think I said in the last interview about this, this whole topic, you know, the Byzant paper, as you said, um, is sort of his set of papers are the foundation of the official story because NIST does not actually um, explain, they only investigate up to the point of collapse initiation. And they say that once the top began to fall, it's a foregone conclusion that the top is going to be able to crush through the rest of the structure at nearly uh, free fall acceleration. Uh, but they don't actually do the analysis 
they leave that to Byzant and they cite Byzant in their in their report. Um, so the paper that Tony and Richard are trying to refute is like is a foundational paper as far as the official story of 9/11 is concerned. And there are thousands of engineers that um, I don't know how many engineers regularly read the journal, but um, it's a it's a highly you know it's a highly thought of journal in the field. And you've got to get and here's the thing: it's the thing that we're fighting for is not. It's as simple as getting this an article that's already available on the internet. You can find it if you search around. It's about getting it in that journal, right? And it's not a hard, you know, it's not a hard decision for any person to make. Like it's not, you know, it's a it's a click of a button. You know, it's you know, it's just so one person along the way. We thought it would be this new editor saying, you know what, I'm just going to do the right thing here. Just I don't even know if I agree, but let's put let's put this publish this paper and see what the original authors have to say about this critique. That's what, I mean, the idea that this is being, in a normal, again, in a normal situation, a discussion like this would not uh, demand this level of scrutiny. A discussion, would you would look to see that it just kind of makes sense, reasonable, and then you say, we're going to accept it, and we're going to see what the original authors have to say. So let's see if the original authors can refute it. Not the editor being like, you know, going going crazy trying to figure out ways to reject the paper. Like the editor should back off and let the original authors respond to the critique. Um, so, so yeah, um, it, it's important because I mean, the knowledge that these engineers have will filter out to the mainstream. Right. Um, and, and it's an achievable goal because it's just not that hard. You know, this paper should be published. It just takes one editor or one associate editor to just do the right thing and say, yeah, this is okay. If we, if we fail, you know, if the journal just, the ASC just keep refusing to do the right thing, you know, at least we've done our due diligence and we have this, this saga of a story showing the extent of corruption that the ASCE will go to apparently. And I'm not going to say any one individual, but as an organization will go to you know, to prevent the scientific process from happening because the science shows that the towers came down due to explosives. And um, now we have this really like sad story of the ASCE standing in the way of the science, you know, the scientific process and scientific debate. Um, so either way, either way, what happens here is like, we're going to get the story out. Hopefully the story um, has a happy ending that this paper gets published and that the scientific process continues. Well, I, I think that this interview with you right now is going to be shown in future uh, engineering ethics classes, maybe even scientific ethics classes, because they're going to look back and say, oh, my God, how did this happen? And the thing is, we can't fail. Like, we're doing the right thing. Actually, actually, we, I'm, I'm just bringing the story to you, but <clears throat> you guys are the ones doing the work on this. You can't fail because... I mean, you're just doing, you're following every step and, and, uh, meeting them at every turn here. The ones that are failing are the leadership at the ASCE. They're the ones that are failing the scientific community, their membership, the people of America. <clears throat> and of course, you know, the U.S. government fails with the NIST reports and all of that. So we never fail here in the 9-11 truth movement. You know, we basically meet every obstacle and it takes a long time to make things happen. I mean, there were people trying to end slavery in this country for many decades. I'm not a <clears throat> expert on the history of it, but I know it took a very long time. And some of those people didn't see the, uh, 
the results of their actions. <clears throat> they died before uh, slavery was ended. So this is just how change happens. And, you know, in answer to the people who say, oh, why do you go to these institutions that won't investigate themselves, they won't do anything? Well, look, if it was just a matter of convincing myself, I'd have packed up 10 years ago. I was convinced back then this was a controlled demolition on 9-11 that we saw in New York. All right, we have to use the institutions that we have. I'm not looking to bring down institutions or bring down America or anything like that. I actually want everything to thrive and America to do good because uh, I live here and so many other people I know live here. And um, <clears throat> I just want to see us do the right thing. These are the institutions that we have, and we will keep on knocking on the door until we have people there who are willing to step forward, be courageous, and, again, do the right thing. And, again, this is not about... Um, <clears throat> people's personal opinions, trying to make them agree with us. It's basically just giving us the same respect that they give to anybody uh, who that they that they publish in this journal. Um, Ted, uh, just you may have touched upon this, but just summarize for our audience the next steps, what we can look forward to in this entire saga. Um, yeah, basically that's the question. Go ahead. Yeah, so Tony and Richard uh, just sent that letter to uh, ASCE today, basically saying that they object to uh, Dr. Ohm's review of the discussion paper, and they're not appealing it because that would be the next step if they were kind of accepting Ohm's decision as a as a reasonable, appropriate decision where, where he had given a technical reason for rejecting the paper, they're, they're saying, no, this is not consistent with the agreement that we had, which was that the journal, if they were going to reject the paper, had to provide a technically reasoned decision. So they're basically asking ASCE, the journal staff at the ASCE, the Committee on Professional Conduct, to go back to Dr. Ulm and say, review the paper fairly. Give us, if you, if you, first of all, we actually made a lot of changes to the paper, contrary to what you said in your decision. Um, and we're asking you to review those changes and review, seriously review our rebuttals of the reviewer's comments and then either publish the paper or give us a technically reasoned decision not to. Um, and so what we have, what we're going to wait and see now is will the ASCE agree to even approach Dr. Ulm again? Will Dr. Ulm agree to review it again? You know, we're very much in uncharted territory here in terms of like, what is this process supposed to look like? You know, like this is, I'm sure uncharted territory for ASE and for us, you know, and we're just using the process that exists, like the points of leverage that we have, like the existing ethics complaint, to try to get Dr. Alm to, to give a fair review to this discussion paper. So we will probably know within a few weeks, I would say, if Dr. Alm is going to review it again, um, or maybe if he will assign an, an associate editor to review it. You know, we've said that we're open to that. But one way or another, we're trying to get the journal to conduct a fair review of the paper. And, and if they're going to reject it, give us a real technical reason to reject it. Um, you know, if Dr. Ohm, let's say, let's say the ASCE asks him and he says, no, I'm not going to review it again. I already did. Maybe then we'll, we'll go and do the normal appeal where we treat his decision as a real decision and we just appeal it to him. Um, but we hope that we get a real review from him first. And if he, if he rejects it again, and in that appeal, then we would show, well, these are the reasons why the, the reviewer's comments are incorrect. Then hopefully he would actually engage with the material. Um, if he rejects it a second time, then we would appeal it to the Board of Governors again, kind of go through the same process that Tony and Richard did back in 2013. Um, we're really hoping we don't have to go there. Like, just publish the frickin' paper, and let's see what Zant and Lay have to say about it. 
You know, this is not complicated. Um, so those are the things that could happen. Um, if it doesn't go our way, you know, say we'll know within the next, I would say three to six months, you know, probably closer to three months. Um, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to, I can't say for sure what we'll do, but certainly we'll get the story out and we'll probably start releasing all the documents related to the whole ethics complaint so that people can see the extent to which sadly, um, people at ASE have gone to, um, you know, not allow this discussion paper to be published. But we're, we're still we're still assuming that there's going to be a happy ending here, and this paper is going to get published, and then that will bring the world closer to understanding how the towers really came down. Absolutely, and this is exciting to me. More exciting than watching somebody with a sandwich board, you know, scream at somebody on the street or anything like that. I mean, Ted, you are a ninja with the way that you uh, <clears throat> pursue these people, and you know, Tony and and Richard Johns and everybody here at AE911 Truth, um, just very dedicated. And that's uh, how our supporters can help out in this process. You know, support us if you're not already. Um, keep us going. Keep the lights on here. And also publicize this. I mean, that's how I got started in the whole movement is things would happen in the 9-11 Truth movement. I'd write stories about it, send it out to media and alt media, and uh, help, you know, create that buzz that, uh, you know, and the publicity that was needed for, for uh, putting attention on these incidents. And you can do that out there, too. All you got to do is uh, have some writing skills and uh, send them out to your favorite uh, websites. So please help publicize what's going on here because this is monumental. This is huge in the 9-11 Truth movement. Um, Ted? I, I want to say one last thing. I want to say one last thing, Andy. Like, we're at this point where, like, we're just waiting for one person, hopefully Dr. Ulm, to do the right thing. Right. And I, I don't actually think any of these people are bad people. We found ourselves in this strange situation where people who are probably good people are doing the wrong thing. And like, I'm just asking for Dr. Ulm or anybody at ASE to just like be the good people that you probably are and let this paper get published. All right. And I'll say this too. I can understand why people don't want to be the one to bend on something like this and be responsible for, you know, for, what follows, but, uh, you know, the things we fear the most happening usually don't happen or not as bad as we think they're going to be. So that's my advice out there to the ASCE leadership. Take a chance. I know, have some faith that things will work out and do the right thing. Ted, thank you so much. Uh, we are out of time, but we'll keep our audience updated. And uh, thanks to the audience for watching 9-11 Freefall today. Thank you, Andy. All right, so that's another episode of 9-11 Freefall. This is a fascinating story, fascinating times that we live in here. Uh, as always, let us know how we can improve the show. If you have suggestions, you can go to 911freefall.com or ae911truth.org. There's ways to contact us through those websites, or you can leave a comment in the YouTube box. I'll probably see it. But for my part, this is Andy Steele saying I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.